there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. All right. You know what that means. He's back. Brad Lamb. Putting up all those cranes and skyscrapers and, uh, well, giving people a place to live. Uh, Brad, thank you ever so much for joining us back on the show. Welcome to 2020, my friend. Uh, how are things? Things are good. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Good uh, holiday? Yeah, great holiday. Did you manage to relax a little bit and spend some time with your daughter? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we did do that. And then I, I went away for a week. Uh, my birthday is around, uh, that time, the 30th of December is my birthday. How did it, what, did you feel ripped off? Being yeah, born well, then? A little bit. You get a little gypped, eh? I was ripped off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You made up for it, my friend. Um, Brett, again, thank you for joining us in the studio. I want to, uh, start off where we left off. Um, I really enjoy doing this radio show for uh, a plethora of reasons, but one is it, 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 it uh, allows me to think sometimes in a slightly different fashion and you get this, these impromptu epiphanies. And I had an epiphany, um, and much of it is to do with our concern of millennials and the sky, uh, sky high prices of real estate. Uh, and I, I loosely threw out, because this, this was drilled into my head when I bought my first home, when I studied personal finance in university, that back in the day, my day, that is, as a Generation Xer, Jack, no boomer, Xer, um, uh, when I bought my first home, interest rates were 11 and three quarter percent. And everyone said, my dad included, that for the first five years, the bulk of your mortgage payment will be for interest. Uh, and it was, the ratio was about nine, was a nine to one. So if, if I had a $1,500 mortgage payment back then, uh, 1400 bucks went to service the debt, hundred bucks went towards principal. So at the end of a five-year mortgage, I didn't really pay off a lot of debt. Hopefully the house went up in value. Uh, in fact, mine didn't because I bought in uh, 1990 and went down to 95, 96. It went down in price, actually. It doesn't happen to people, does it? It happened to me. But the point is, you fast forward now, price of homes have gone up three, four, five fold since I bought my first home. Uh, and so much of it has to do with interest rates without question. Uh, I think the homeless problem we have here has got to do with interest rates. That's a different discussion. I think we're going to have to have this later into the show, perhaps. But um, we talked about it. I said, Brad, I haven't looked at a P&I schedule, principal and interest schedule recently. Um, but on your first mortgage payment, you must be paying more principal now than interest. And you said big time. Uh, and it's now about 50%. I looked, I, I ran the math when I went back. I rent it back, back to you. I said, we've got an epiphany here. So the point is millennials. You have to contact Brad one day. You got to contact Brad Lamb Realty if you're looking to buy a downtown condo. It is He is the guy to work with if you're looking at a Toronto condo. And the first thing I want you to discuss with Brad is, in fact, the ability that you're going to create wealth on your first mortgage payment. If your first mortgage payment is, what, $500,000 mortgage, Brad, that's about uh, 2500 bucks a month, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to save, you're, you're going to create about $1,200 of equity each and every month. So that's a wonderful, wonderful wealth strategy. It's actually the first time I became comfortable with the price of real estate in Toronto. It's not as bad as it appears, Brad. Or is no, it? No, you're right. The the um, in fact, um, even even when people are looking at buying properties as an investment, 
And the property, even if they put 25 or 35 percent down, might lose a bit of money every month, but it doesn't lose as much money as you make on the principal payback. So when you, you cash flow wise, it might be it might be negative. But in terms of gain on an annual basis, you're, gain, you're building wealth. You are building wealth. You know, yeah. it's interesting. When I when I bought my first home, I rented it out, and I was negative cash flow for a little bit. Right. Uh, so things haven't changed, have they? No, it's pretty hard in any in any city you want to live in. It's pretty hard to buy a single family home, whether it's a condominium or you know a freehold house, uh, and put um, you know twenty five percent down and and actually show a positive return. There are times in Toronto when we've been able to. Uh, and I can remember four or five times for about six or eight months in the last 20 years where you could. But it's it's not a reasonable expectation. Not enough money. You need a bigger downstroke. Well, I just think of it. If it's cheaper to own than rent, then right. <laughs> who's Cor- renting? Right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the math has to uh, make sense yeah. uh, from both sides. Basically, if you, I think if you're about 50% down, you'd be positive cash flow on a rental? Yeah. Today, yeah. today you'd be positive cash flow with 40 to 50% down. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jack, what's your comment about millennials? What's their biggest challenge right now for the real estate market? Their biggest challenge, I think, is just getting in, right? And that, that's really what we talk about with our investment and process, so, so, too. It's, to get, it's really getting started, right? So to get in, you have to... Start saving. Have a downstroke. Yeah. And so what kind of a downstroke do you guys suggest people enter the market with, Jack and Brad? Well, I mean, I, I think that uh, if you're today, if you're spending a million dollars, you need 20%. It's that's the rules. But if you're, um, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a, a starter condo and you you can get something for five hundred thousand, the minimum you should go five percent. Just get in the marketplace. You're gonna be better off getting in the marketplace and waiting. Prices are not falling. I'm not saying they won't fall at one point in time in the future, but they're not going to fall over the long term. So it's always best to get in the market. And then, and then if you do have that monthly savings, you get the down payment, whether it's 5%, it gets you in the door, like you said, and then you really start building equity from day one. Whereas when you started, Wolf, the fact was you were building a little bit of equity, but most of it was just going to interest. So that really shows you how important interest rates are to real estate prices. And you know the way the economy is going right now and the way inflation is right now, with what the Federal Reserve said down in the U.S., interest rates aren't going a lot higher anytime soon. So you would expect interest rates, you know, up here as well to sort of be tethered to what we see in the U.S. And if interest rates are low, you should expect risk assets, real estate being one of them, to remain relatively high, not without its corrections and and, uh, short-term, I'm not saying dislocations, but uh, weakness potential in the market. Correct. You listen to Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Brad Lamb, our uh, guest guest uh, for the show today, Jack Hartle, portfolio manager, partner with The Wolf on Bay Street. Uh, it's a show for you, my good friends. We're trying to increase your wealth. We're trying to give you more financial stability. And uh, hey, if you become super wealthy, and uh, even if you don't, uh, you can always give some money back. Uh, a lot of cause out there. Uh, there's no uh, shortage of causes, and that is part of money. Part of the responsibility of having money is giving back as well. We're going to help you get rich. Please think of the other side of it as well. Uh, stay tuned. More show right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Wakey, wakey. Come on, it's a show for you. It's a show to help you become wealthier, eh? 
so you may have a little pink house one day, a little picket fence, and hey, what picket fences? I, there's a picket fence in my neighborhood, Brad. I live out in the uh, Kingsway, and I, I saw the new owner about 15 years ago uh, build a picket fence. And very, very cute. And he has a cedar shake roof. Uh, I hate cedar shake roofs. Uh, they, 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 they worry me. So uh, I'm going to throw something at you, Brad. Um, I have, a, again, an indicated house out in the West End. It's worth about 1.8, 1.9 million. And uh, I contemplated moving many times. Um, but what stops me dead in my track each and every time, you're not going to like this, is number one, the commission to sell it. But agents want about $100,000. When I bought that, the commission on that was $12,000. Uh, now they want hundred grand. And then two, the land transfer taxes. Again, I'm 54, so I'm not moving down yet. I still want to perhaps move up, perhaps move up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the land transfer tax, anything I'm looking at, can be upwards of about eighty dollars to $100,000. So I'm, 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 I'm underwater by about $200,000 just to make a transaction. And uh, do you find that to be a problem? Do you think that is, is reducing the amount of frequency, the amount of transactions that occur in the marketplace? Because it, it's, it's always been on my mind. Toronto is land transfer taxes, double that of anywhere else in the province, I guess, isn't it? Well, let's start with commission. Commissions actually, when I started selling, were 6%, in some cases 7%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're down now to five, and and I guarantee you, someone put your house up for sale for four. No, yep. so it wouldn't be a hundred thousand to be in the sixties. No, well, four and, well, four and two is eighty. It still be eighty G's. I thought you said one point eight. One point eight to two. Okay. Yeah. And and so the four uh, percent guy gets me one point eight. The five percent guy gets yeah. me two. But but from the, <laughs> st- from the standpoint of the percentage of the transaction, it's it's actually lower. And the other thing is, uh, you know. Um, Sorry, the, the the second part of it. The was land transfer tax transfer. on the purchase. Yeah, listen, it's the city of Toronto is is um, looking at every single way possible to uh, take money out of your pocket and not raise property taxes. You see, they don't they don't want to um, raise property taxes, so they're doing everything else to avoid it. And uh, you know, one of the huge huge boon is that, and they're also looking at now taxing empty houses. So. I don't know how they're going to enact that, but for instance, if you um, have a house in Florida and you go down for six months, you're retired, are they going to tax your empty house here or make you rent it? Do you want someone living in your house when you have a house down in Florida? I'd let you live in my house. You'd be responsible. Actually, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that. <laughs> the parties you would throw, Great Gatsby? You, you know, <laughs> it's it's Brad, a, Brad it's makes a, a good point, though. You see, he does it, make it, a good no, point. It's regulation, right? It's taxes, and that's really what it is. It's land transfer taxes, a tax, and, and taxes and tariffs, they disincent people to do business, right? It's, it's it's a frictional cost that disincentivizes you to, if you move into that house, Wolf, okay, I don't know what you're going to upgrade to, but I know when you move into that house, you're going to probably take out the floors, repaint the place, oh, buy the some money, new appliances. The, the money pit begins. So you're, you're just getting started with the I, upgrade. I, okay? I know, that's my concern. But Brad, now I'm going to go back to your point here, because uh, there used to be a phrase in Toronto I can say 15 years ago that, uh, and, and, and they're pointing the finger at money from Hong Kong. Money from Hong Kong coming to Toronto, buying condos, and they're unlit, like unlit fiber. In other words, you drive, people said if you came downtown Toronto on a Wednesday night and you looked at a condominium building, half of the units would be unlit. In other words, they were vacant. Myth, fact, I don't know, but you know what I'm talking about because you, you've been in yeah, this long myth. enough. It's, it's a myth, It's eh? a myth, myth yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's the odd person that does buy and uh, you know, maybe uses it as a residence when they're here. But um, no one is, no, you know, first of all, billionaires aren't buying single condos in Toronto. They're working people from China and from other places if they're living somewhere else. And they don't have the money to keep them empty. They need the cash. They need the money. 
They're not, you know, they're not billionaires flying in private jets buying thousands of units. They're buying one unit or two units. So nobody who buys that amount of real estate can sustain no cash. Do you so think a lot silly. of money? Do you think a lot of money is coming out of Hong Kong? Because I, I, I'm reading and hearing stories. It is, and 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 it's leaving Hong Kong for concern of of, of basically expropriating or, or or restricting capital outflows in the future. Because the Chinese authorities are concerned with capital leaving the country, and Canada is one of the safest havens for it to enter. Vast amounts of money are coming out of China, Hong Kong included. Vast. You wouldn't believe it. How large do you think, Brad? Billions. Many billions to Toronto. Billions. 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 Yep. Equal amount to Vancouver as well. Way, I guess more, I... way more than Vancouver. Van- Van- Vancouver. More than Van. Yeah. Vancouver is a tiny marketplace. It's a tiny city. There's uh, tens of thousands of units in the hands of Chinese people in Toronto. Tens of thousands. Yeah. Chinese nationals, not... Canadian Chinese, but Chinese nationals, tens of thousands. And uh, th- what's happening to those units? Are they rental pool or are they keeping them as a... Rental pool. They're, rent- they're in the rental pool. Yep. Yep. No. They're apartment buildings. And one of the points that Brad has made a number of times on this show is uh, for developers to actually go ahead and ma- make these developments and commit to building uh, the condos that Brad builds. You have to have a, a certain pre-sold amount. Yes. And a lot of that does come from foreigners. So they, we, we talk about them taking up some of our uh, apartments, some of the condos, but they're actually the ones that are helping us get the, uh, the the stake in the ground to get things moving forward. Well, they're providing rental housing because local people won't buy them. They look at the prices today, 1300 a foot, and they're like, ah. But uh, yeah. uh, people from outside of Toronto that see Toronto as a different place than we see it right. are more than happy to jump in at that number, and they rent them out. So they're providing, they're subsidizing our rentals because they're not making a positive cash flow, but they're renting them out nonetheless. At, at a slight loss. And yeah. they're providing housing to Canadians it's actually subsidized by a foreign national. Yes. Well, well things are certainly changing uh, both demographically and geographically uh, uh, with our cities. Um, it's interesting to have you in the studio, Brad. I want to talk to you uh, when we come back from break about uh, how the market performed last year and what your forecasts are for uh, appreciation, uh, if so, uh, for this year, if you don't mind. Uh, please stay tuned. You're listening to uh, Hi-Fi Radio. We have Brad Lamb in the studio. Uh, Brad Lamb, of course, is a real estate developer, develops condos. Brad Lamb Realty is a specialist in um, brokering uh, condominium deals south of Bloor. Uh, Brad gets nosebleeds, he claims, when he goes north, and so such he stays nice and close to the lake. Uh, please stay tuned. More show right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There you go, Brad. That's for you, pal. Yeah, you're listening to Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager. I'm here for you folks. If you have any money questions on your mind, rich or poor, we will answer them. My good friends, I promise you, just send us a note, uh, wolfgangkline.com. We are here for your money questions. Stocks, bonds, gold, Bitcoin, real estate, interest rates, you name it. We can help you. And if we can't, we know who can. Uh, Yes, we have a lot of resources available to us. Uh, Brad Lamb, so how did the uh, real estate market perform uh, last year, nationally and uh, as well in Toronto? What are your forecasts for uh, 2020? So the Toronto resale market was up uh, over the previous year. Um, It wasn't as good as the year before that or the year before that, but it's, uh, it's it's in recovery. So... Um, the, so prices are almost back up to where they were on an average basis. They're, they're maybe a half percent less than the peak. 
Um, and, but they're, the arrow is pointing upwards. Mm-hmm. And the pace of sales has picked up uh, tremendously. So we're, we're back into a somewhat of what I would call a, a seller's market, but not an insane seller's market, which we were in 2017, 16. But it is, there's a shortage of real estate. Every move the government makes, like just the <laughs> land transfer tax, shortens real estate because you, you don't want to sell your house. So you would be doing more transactions if it wasn't so expensive. 100%. Right? So all the moves that the city makes, everything they do, they're planning initiatives, there's, there's stupid land transfer tax, everything. Uh, you know, uh, increasing historic control districts. Everything stops development, which increases prices. Every move they make is counterintuitive to reducing prices and increasing um, uh, volume. But they, they, they can't see it, or maybe it's intentional. I don't I don't know what their plan is, but it's a stupid plan nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Brad, if I hire you to sell my house, which I know you're, you're, you're a condo dude, but if I were to hire you, okay, I could see value. You know, you're, both, you're negotiating, you're going to list, you're going to stage, you're going to advertise, you're going to negotiate back and forth, you're going to give me the, the, the market intelligence and lots of it, and do, so do your research in terms of pricing it, etc. You're going to have a strategy. I see land transfer type. What do I get for that money? You get a nothing. You, you get you get a, a better Toronto. <laughs> well, I, I'd have that if I don't transact. A cleaner Toronto. Well, yeah, you I'm okay would. with all of that. But yeah, it's uh, anyways. I, like our property taxes aren't going up. That appeases everybody. That that, that works to get reelected. I well, guess. That, that's see. Pe- so most people buy a house and stand it for a long time, right? Or a condo. They don't transact uh, and and move up the property ladder. Not many people actually do that. So from a popularity standpoint, if you're going to tax somebody. A consumption tax uh, or or a, a trading tax like that is more popular, right? And so, if you sit in your house and your taxes don't go up, you're happy. You like the mayor, you like the councilors. Keep them, keep them in power. It's I think, about power. honestly speaking, I do like our mayor. Again, you you deal with the city from a different perspective. You're <laughs> but I, I think actually John Tory is doing an excellent job uh, as a resident of Toronto. Um, but uh, Brad, I want to tell you. But again, in in my neighborhood, Jack, I don't know if you've seen much of this look. Um, but we've spoken uh, to a few people who are trying to get um, uh, environmentally friendly with their new home build. But in my neighborhood, Brad, you're seeing a lot of modern stuff popping up. And again, I'm out in the West End with the old Tudor, a little Victorian, some stone. And you're seeing house getting bulldozed and modern house uh, being erected. Mm-hmm. And again, traditional is traditional. And it's traditional, your, your subway tile, your black and white, that works for everybody sort of. But this modern stuff, boy, if you don't like it, you don't like it. So mm-hmm. what's what's your take on that look? And is, is it going to stay or is it going to become the, um, what was that green toilet and the those funky colored toilets that people well, buy? Well, think of it this way. So every, every uh, era has its style of architecture, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, what, what, what you'd be asking is, is a, a, an architect or a designer to, to design a house based on styles and tastes from 150 years ago, like the Victorian era, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think that any architect worth his salt wants to design houses that were popular 150 years ago. So modern architecture is here to stay. It is the future. It's the way all houses will be built going forward. There are some exceptions. Where I live in Forest Hill, people build these ridiculous faux mansions that that look like they're robber baron mansions from 125 years ago you know they're silly they they they're 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 like a, f- a faux facade of stone the rest of it is stucco and it's supposed to look like it's 125 years old but it's a brand new house made to look old and i find that preposterous personally so i i'm a big advocate for 
uh, building homes of the era. But they, they, they feel almost institutional, but a lot of people say, like you're in a dentist's office. They're clinical. They're sterile. Clean lines, which I get. I like, I like lines. Lines are cool. Not, But I, I would say almost Bauhaus. But the Jack said, well, if this stuff is actually being replica, you, you brought some pictures. Well, I would say, like I would say a, a lot of the modern ar- architecture that you see, some of it is drawn from the 1950s. And I think that when you when you really go and do something that's different, not traditional, I'll say uh, go out and do something on the edge, you end up sort of dating that, saying like this was built in you know 2020. I don't really want to buy that in 2035. You know what I mean? Down the road. My point from an investment point of view, Brad, is it smart for someone to be that creative with their bill? Will they get that money back on the resale, or should they sort of stick to that? Yeah, modern houses sell really well. I mean, oh, listen, do, to eh? your point, Jack. Here's the thing: what like I, I'm my next house, which we're we're now looking at because this is just a stop sort of stopgap. I want to buy a hundred to 110 year old large house in Rosedale or Forest Hill that's actually built in the era right. and I will renovate the inside but I will retain the building. To me that's great. I, I love that idea. That's I great. think that's a great but idea. But I don't think me trying to build that house. First of all the craftsmen aren't there anymore. You can't build a beautiful Georgian or Victorian house today and and capture the the proper details. It just looks like a fake you know, wedding cake kind of thing. And and so I, I think it's a failed enterprise. And I, I think that, you know, you're right. Modernism came from the 20s, the Bauhaus movement, but there's been evolution in modernism and there will continue to be evolution in modernism. So I, I don't think it's a problem having a house in 2030 that was yeah. built in 2000, just like it's not bad buying a house from 1900 today. The other thing, Wolf, if you build something that's very different, you certainly have to find someone that really appreciates it down the road. Correct. And, and they will, but you just have to find that certain buyer. And, that, you know, that's where, um, you know, if you build something that's just cookie cutter, no problem selling that down the road. But if you build something that's very different, you just have to find someone that appreciates it. That's all. Correct. Uh, you are listening to Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. Uh, we're going to keep Brad around because Brad is a car buff as well. Um, you have an electric vehicle, do you not, Brad? I do, yeah. Yeah. So um, the, this next uh, guest, in fact, is a listener of this radio station, and he contacted uh, Jack and I, and we had a great uh, discussion with him. Uh, his name is Andrew Marsh, and, uh, well, he actually works for the world's largest battery company. So, uh, well, we're going to get electric uh, and talk batteries right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. No place to hang out or wash it. Remember that one? Makes you smile, doesn't it? Makes me smile. Electric Avenue, yes, indeed. Uh, well, we're going electric. Uh, Tesla stock uh, can do no wrong. It's incredible, friends. Tesla is now the same value as GM and Ford put together. GM and Ford make money. They pay a dividend. Tesla does not make money. Same valuation. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but uh, one of our listeners is now a, a guest on the show, um, Andrew Marsh. Um Called Jack and I a few weeks ago, and we had a wonderful discussion with him in our studio and uh, got to know Andrew and had a great conversation about electric power because Andrew works for East Penn Manufacturing. It is the world's largest um, manufacturer of batteries. It's a private company to boot. Um, uh, so, uh, Andrew, I want to thank you very much for joining us on the show. How does it feel to be a uh, guest on the show that you listen to? 
I have to be honest, Wolfgang, a little nervous, but we're going to do our best to keep things straight. Nothing to be nervous about, nothing to be nervous. Brad's not nervous. Why should you be nervous? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll we'll do our best to contain it. So, I don't know, we had a great conversation about about, um, electrification. Um, Let's let's, let's start with some of the pros to electrification. Um, Brad, you want to pipe in? What what, what made you um, go to the root of an electric vehicle? Well, uh, you know, there's the obvious uh, uh, sort of, um, you know, guilt mechanisms that take place. Uh, electric cars, certainly in Ontario, are better for the environment than gas cars. But also the, the car I bought, a Tesla, I think it's the best car out there. And to, to your point about why it's worth more than General Motors and Ford. Put together. They make cars. <laughs> Tesla makes great cars. Ford makes cars. So... You know, every car Tesla pr- produces in their lineup is fantastic car. The most recent fantastic. data that I saw, and I'm not sure exactly which news agency that I saw it from, but they basically said that Tesla right now, relative to the traditional automotive manufacturers, they're about two to three years ahead in their technology. Mm-hmm. The point that I would make there is, sure, they're two or three years ahead, but those larger manufacturers are going to come at them pretty hard and pretty quick. All right. No, so but so is, Andrew, but here's where I want Andrew to speak to that point. Because that, that, that was your point, Andrew. You said they don't know what's coming at them. Obviously, Elon's a brilliant man. He's a genius. I love Elon Musk. Uh, but I see competition coming at them from all over the world. Andrew, I want you to speak to that because you, 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 you deal with manufacturers. Um, so is there increased demand from all the OEMs uh, when it comes to electrifying their fleet? We're an OE supplier as well as an aftermarket supplier to all of the major automotive manufacturers and the transportation industry as well, Wolfgang. Uh, we're, we're certainly seeing a lot of the manufacturers headed towards electrification, some certainly more all-in than others are. What we're seeing a great deal of interest in, however, is the start-stop technology in EVs. Uh, it seems to be certainly more price in line with what it is consumers or the majority of consumers are willing to pay in terms of a premium for electric vehicles and still also seeing some of that reduction or increased mileage out of the start-stop technology. So that's that's where we're seeing things at this point. But, uh, you know, to your point with Tesla, they're certainly making inroads. They've opened some eyes with the OEs and forced their hand to, if nothing else, consider full EV vehicles within their lineups. Interesting stuff. Well, uh, Brad, you said the guilt factor. Uh, I want to speak to that because this is an interesting point here. I'm going to say there's a, a bit of myth out there. Sandy McIntyre uh, was in our studio. Sandy McIntyre, of course, is a strategist with CI Investments. He's a very, very well-read man. And he's a car buff as well, Brad. Uh, and he's, he's, he's well, 15 or 20 years your senior. So he's had a few more cars in his day than you have. He loves cars. And uh, he believes from some empirical data he's looked at that all in electrification versus combustible that the electric vehicle when you, when you factor in the manu- when you factor in the the rare earth and the and the material that goes in the batteries um, when you factor in the amount of grid consumption and the amount of coal that drives the grid that can, continues to be burnt believe it or not yes the world still burns a lot of coal to produce electricity that on a carbon basis the electric vehicle could actually be carbon heavier yeah, than yeah, the but combustible you have, to look at, you have to look at where you're driving it so if you're driving in Hawaii where you're driving, which is which is not uh, you know nuclear or, or or hydro water you know water based power or wind, 
but in Ontario, that's why you said in Ontario, Ontario, it makes infinite sense to drive an electric car. But in Hawaii, you're a bonehead. It's worse. Right. Same places. Same thing as if if you know in in Ohio and places where coal are firing their power plants, you shouldn't be driving an electric car. All right. But so, but the goal here is to stop burning those products. Uh, no, but I, I want to I want to get, talk about those batteries for a second here because this is the, the, the next point here because I've, I've been worried about these batteries for some time here. And Jack, we're going to get to you. We're going to get in Jack's guy's hand up there. He wants to pipe in here for good reason. But these batteries here. Uh, Andrew, um, let's talk batteries. Um, alkaline versus what are they? Lithium ion batteries. Uh, from a recycling point of view, from an environmental point of view, can you speak to that please? We're a manufacturer of lead acid as well as lithium ion. We also represent a major manufacturer as their master distributor for alkaline product. Uh, so we really have no ax to grind here to us. A battery really is just a storage unit for power to you know perform some other purpose or application. The biggest challenge that we see, and we are recyclers at this point of lead acid batteries, and I can share with you that those lead acid batteries that are in your cars, you know, for starting engines or whatever other purpose the lead acid battery serves, 99% of that battery, when we recycle it, is repurposed for other uses, not only to build new batteries. So lead acid batteries are infinitely recyclable. We recycle approximately 33,000 of those batteries daily, or 10 million of them a year. The challenge wow. with the, yes, the challenge with the lithium product is, and you know we're struggling with it right now, is because that product is flammable. It is very costly and dangerous to recycle. At this point, there are two recyclers on this continent. To one sitting in Ohio, the other one sitting in Vancouver, that are capable of recycling the product. The majority of the raw materials are almost worthless. Uh, and as a result of them being combustible, the cost associated with recycling them is more than the value of the raw material product itself. So unlike, you know, your lead acid batteries that you're used to getting a core credit, you know, either through your dealer or through the, you know, automotive resellers for that lead battery, because we want it back to, you know, reuse it to make new batteries, there will be an invoice issued for the recycling of that lithium product. An inv- Brad, you get an invoice coming at you. Are you aware of that? I don't it's, care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Look, you listen to Hi-Fi Radio. It's Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. It's a show about money, my good friends. Uh, we're talking about electric vehicles. We're talking about recycling. We're talking about uh, the environment. And we got Brad Lamb in the studio, and we got uh, Andrew Marsh. Brad Lamb, of course, develops tall, beautiful buildings, places that people can live in. And Andrew Marsh, well, uh, he keeps the lights on. He's with uh, East Penn Manufacturing, uh, the world's largest uh, manufacturer of uh, batteries. So where we are learning, and that's what it's all about. More show right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And you light up my life. You give me Welcome back to the show. Yep. 
It's all about electricity, isn't it? No, may it light up your life. Um, Sounded like I, we were losing a little power there, Wolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> need a little backup. Yeah, no, those are little special effects that we put into the show. Um, I went and bought myself a generator. Uh, I mentioned this to you, Jack. Yeah, I had to buy myself a generac, a backup generator for my place in Toronto because I have a sump pump on my house, and the last thing I want is my sump pump not to work. Maybe a power outage, and that often happens when it rains. Um, may I never use my generator? Um, but if I do, I will be certainly. Uh, well, I'll remain dry, we hope. Um, and I, I've been told that if you don't want to go the generator method, you can do backup power now with um, used uh, batteries. Um, uh, Andrew Marsh is in studio. Uh, excuse me, Andrew Marsh on the line. Uh, he's with East Penn Manufacturing. They're the world's largest uh, manufacturer of batteries. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio and to educate me uh, further in the field of um, electric power. Uh, again, I was at the uh, Canaccord Boston conference back in August, and uh, Volkswagen was there, Tesla was there. Uh, there's a lot of talk around BMW as well. Um, and, and Volkswagen, I, I had asked a question um, to Volkswagen: uh, What is the shelf life of the electric vehicle coming their way, and what happens with the battery after that? And they expect the vehicle, if I. Uh, quote correctly, was about a seven-year shelf life for the vehicle, normal driving, at which point the deterioration would be too great that you basically hand in the vehicle and get yourself a new car. I said, well, then what? Seven years is a very short. My current Volkswagen, that's a diesel, uh, is 15 years old, and it continues to purr like a kitten. Uh, so seven years seems very short to me. Uh, what's going to happen with the batteries? And they said, well, we're looking at using them for backup uh, for the grid. And I said, well, that's interesting. Well, then what? And they didn't answer that part of the question. Uh, so, Andrew, uh, again, when you had you in our studio or in our office, you were talking to you about that. Um, let's go to Tesla. What's Tesla's plan to do with their lithium-ion flammable batteries after they uh, are degraded to a point that the, the owner of the car is no longer satisfied with the low charge that they have? What we're seeing at this point, Wolfgang, and I don't know that there's a long-term plan in place through any of the manufacturers at this point, again, for, you know, those reasons that we spoke of earlier, ultimately, you know, what causes, if it's not an internal or an internal failure, internal component failure on the battery, the loss of capacity is going to see that battery useless for whatever original purpose it was designed for. And in the case of, you know, the cars, as you'd spoken to earlier, the capacity is no longer there to allow that driver to travel the miles that he or she needs to travel throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Again, right now, you know, with the costs and the limited capacity associated with recycling of lithium-ion batteries, we're seeing those batteries repurposed, and certainly Tesla's doing that and have promoted it, repurposed them as backup power for residential housing and, you know, remote camps, things of that nature, where the existing capacity that remains in that battery is adequate to power a house for, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever the case may be. Do you, do you think, a, sorry, Jack, do you think a Tesla power pack would be able to power a full house, one car? 
Any idea? Well, if if you look at it this way, the average Tesla that's out there has in it a battery that is between 50 and 70 kilowatts. Yeah. I look at my hydro bill for the month and, you know, we've got a hot tub running and a few other things. And the daily demand is in and around 30 kilowatt hours. Oh, so it works. So, so that being said, even if we were to dispose of that battery for transportation purposes, repurpose it at 50% capacity, yeah. we've got adequate power in that battery to run the house for a day. And you can still stay in your hot tub. And we could still stay in the hot tub. But uh, again, over time, that battery is going to continue to deteriorate from a capacity. Just, just like standpoint. the old cell phones. When, when they fall, you got 10%, 10% becomes 1% in a nanosecond. I like hanging on to them, but yeah. that 1% seems to hang around for a long it's time. A, it's good, though. Well, if they're actually repurposing the battery. So the repurpose, I think, is very positive. You get more usable life just for a different purpose. Obviously, it makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. But uh, I think at the end of the day, you still have the same problem. you got to deal with disposing this battery pack. That's uh, The original cost is, what, around $7,000 or something like I that? I think 15000 is isn't it, Andrew? I think you're – I'm not entirely familiar with it, but the numbers I have heard are closer to what you're saying, Wolfgang, of 15. Sure. And it depends on the battery pack that you have in the car and the life on it too. But the other point that I would make, and we just had Brad Lamb in studio, the infrastructure that has been built over the last 30 years is not set up to uh, to charge these vehicles, especially in residential areas. And then you also talk about charging stations, whether it's at you know uh, the, the local gas station or whatever the case. So there's significant issues there. And I think that uh, – you know, Andrew addressed those in our office, but uh, they're not going to be that easy to solve. No, and if we use that, uh, you know, 50 to 70 kW battery that's in a typical Tesla with a 110 volt, you know, plug-in style charger, which is typical of the residential plugs in your house, if that battery is completely discharged, that charger is going to take in excess of 40 hours to charge that battery. Uh, if we use the 240 that's in the house uh, and use the entire capacity of, uh, you know, the 100 amp service that is typical of most residential facilities, it's still going to take eight hours. The bigger struggle now becomes is is that, you know, the grid in the condition that it's currently in, if there was to be a substantial shift to electric vehicles, is not capable of supporting that type of load. Yeah. Well, that's perhaps why we have to uh, do things in, uh, in a different fashion. This notion of parking your car uh, over a pad. Uh, you go to the office and the pad is electrified, wireless charging uh, during a, what is it, a low peak environment, hopefully, could solve uh, some of the problems. But without question, infrastructure globally, be it water, be it roads, be it electrical grids globally, is in need of repair, which hopefully allows for governments to think fiscally and uh, as the economy slows, uh, perhaps step up some spending and jack and i've been talking a lot about that's exactly what the europeans need to do but they can't do it because they're restricted um with the uh, agreement they have with the monetary union i digress but it's it's all interconnected Uh, andrew marsh uh, east pen manufacturing uh, world's largest manufacturer of batteries uh the world's changing uh the duracell battery and the duracell bunny it was a bunny no the energizer bunny the energizer bunny is still relevant uh yep the energizer bunny is still relevant i can't thank you enough andrew for joining us uh, on the show you keep listening and uh, we'll get you back on and uh, keep picking your brain as the world continues to go perhaps more electric uh you listen to hi-fi radio global news radio network 640 in toronto uh, more show right after this 
Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show about money. It's Hi-Fi Radio. It's on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein. I manage money for people just like you. Uh, Jack and I uh, work very hard in uh, giving clients optimizing results. Uh, we care about details, uh, and we know what we're doing. We're very good at what we do. We're extremely good at what we do. If you go on our website, WolfgangKlein.com, you can take a look at the performance of our uh, managing of money. Uh, but it goes so far beyond that. Uh, it goes it goes to a point of uh, sitting down, understanding clients' needs and wants in in a in a, in a very granular fashion because we are all very very different, have different wishes, um, and uh, different views on things. And so uh, Jack and I try to bring it all home, bring it down to the individual, and how can we help you achieve your objectives? And if they're unrealistic, we will tell you. And you perhaps could step it up a little bit. We will tell you. That's what we're here for. Um, so the final uh, hit of the show, I want to uh, wrap it all up, bring it back home. And uh, wealth, my good friends, you can all be wealthier. And it all starts with working. And it moves on to uh, reducing your spending so you have money to save. And Warren Buffett says, you save first and you spend what's left. Uh, it is January. Um, January is an interesting time because in the month of January, the bills come in um, from the uh, holiday season, the Christmas bills and the likes. And yet in January, some good deals are to be had. Uh, I just went and saw my friend Jeffrey at Klaska Imports, and um, I got a bargain uh, of clothes from uh, Jeffrey. Wonderful clothes because end of season, and the season is mid, uh, and that's a great time to buy clothes mid-season, especially in January. So I got value. Uh, in some additional clothes. Uh, do I need more clothes? Well, it's a vice I have. It's one of my healthy vices I have. I want to dress in nice clothes, but I don't spend a silly amount of money. A friend of mine had a pair of running shoes, Jack. Uh, $900. I got it for $800. Sweaters, pants, suit, boots. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, don't spend it all on one. I don't, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. Um, but, Jack, you, you made a funny point to me in the office the other day um, <laughs> about buying stuff on the cheap and actually getting items for free. I know you can actually get horses for free. I was actually was looking at buying a horse and you can actually rescue a horse. All right. It's basically about it's on its way to the glue factory a couple of years left. Take it and they'll give it to you. I never realized that could happen. I know you can adopt a pet. Right. Um, but you had a couple of neat ideas. Well, the, the point or the conversation we had was things that you should maybe look at buying used because we had last week we were talking about sort of cheaping out in the cash flow cookbook and I said if you buy things that are very large and people don't want most of the time sometimes they'll pay you to get rid of them or at least you can get them for free. And the, I think the piano was the example that I gave to you. But, you know, there's other examples obviously out there. But the point you make uh, at the beginning of the segment, Wolf, is buy things that are out of season. You know, right? you know what's interesting, Jack? I, um, a few, and you, and you follow suit. You remember when I built my hockey rink? Yeah. And so I had to go to Home Depot and I bought four by eight sheets of plywood and I bought two by threes to make them frames and I made boards uh, out of plywood. So I made a nice little rink about, I don't know, 25 feet long, uh, 16 feet wide, whatever it was. Right. And I said, well, this is going to be fun for a few years. I get to set this thing up and take it down every year. I'm looking forward to that ending sort of. Wonderful memories made for three years. My kids had fun. They were slapping pucks and they collect all kinds of pucks. But 
what do you do with it at the end? And on Kijiji it went, and we actually gave it away. And so when the yeah, fella exactly. came, when, when the fella came to my house with a trailer, and he came from St. Catharines, um, so he took all the boards. But I had a bunch of used equipment. I didn't want it. I had six pair of skates. I were for toddlers, and I had. So he took it all. He took a clean. It was beautiful. Yeah. So, so he, he cleaned he, up my he did your and, favor, and, and he Absolutely. got a, uh, all kinds of stuff. He said, "This is gonna be great. All the kids in my neighborhood in St. Kitts are gonna love what I do." Uh, so uh, yeah, for the, free. And the other clearest example. So we talked about big things that people don't want. The other clear example, if you're trying to, so as an investor. You're trying to open up some cash flow so that you can save and invest all, do all that stuff that we're talking about and I think the the clearest example uh, aside from pianos that they give away for free or boards for hockey rinks is used cars uh, you talk about what the cost is of a, if you lease a BMW over oh. 40 years it's got four million dollars whatever the case if you can save that depreciation for the first couple of years buy a used car it's already depreciated and then use it for the life of the car, I think you're going to save more than you'll ever realize. And everyone knows that example, but so few people actually do it because they want that new car. You know, my brother bought a used Jeep. And again, he could have purchased a new vehicle, but he looked at his salary and said, Gee, these new vehicles are, are, are a lot more than my annual salary. So right. he bought used. He bought a used Jeep for 15000 bucks. That Jeep has served him very, very well for about eight years. Uh, that vehicle new would have been closer to $40,000. So uh, yeah, buying used vehicles, again, if you know how to buy a vehicle um, and you can uh, do a search on the vehicle, correct, Jack? There's a site you can do a search. There is, absolutely. In an accident. And the thing that you want to do is you want to buy a vehicle that has a lot of life left in it. Same thing like your brother-in-law. I bought a Pathfinder. It was five years ago. It had 40,000 kilometers on it. Uh, it was all dealer-driven. It was all uh, driven on the highway. Knew that the car had lots of life in it. Uh, the car is paid for now. I paid for my car. And I've got at least another 10 years of driving. And there's going to be some costs associated with it down the road. There's going to be some uh, repairs and maintenance, which are common with every car. But at least you're not paying that $1,000 payment every month that you could be putting into something that's a lot more productive. So I want to I want to end the show on, I want to remind you friends at home that um, let's just say you're in your 40s or 50s and you have young children. I cannot stress this point enough. Get your kids saving money early because Jack mentioned the thousand bucks a month for leasing a vehicle. If you want to build wealth, it takes, unfortunately, about 25 years for the tree to produce decent fruit. And after 40, it is unbelievably amazing. Just ask Brad Lamb as an example. Ask Warren Buffett. You can ask me. It, it, it does work. Um, if you can get your kid to start saving money at 15, 40 years gets them to 55. That could be the new Freedom 55 uh, financial plan that no one is talking about. Start early and save. Uh, that little plan I have going on with one of my kids at home, under 18, their account just eclipsed 22000 bucks, $100 a week. I'm going to keep you up to date on this one here, friends, because it's going to blow all of our minds uh, when I can get a, a young millennial into a, enough money at a young enough age to have a downstroke on a house. After all, isn't that what it's all about? Getting them out of our house into their own. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. I want to thank you for joining us today. I am Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager, Jack Hartle, partner in your success, Portfolio Manager as well. Uh, we are with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. This is the Global News Radio Network 640 in Toronto. You tell your friends about Hi-Fi Radio. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.